From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The official hurricane season lasts from June 1st to November 30th, with the majority of storms occurring in the eight-week period from mid-August to late October. So now, forecasters predict a more active hurricane season now that El Nino has ended, with as many as 10 to 17 possible named storms. Getting accurate models of a hurricane's path plays a big part in coastal communities' ability to stay safe. Researchers at the University of Georgia aim to improve precision by launching underwater autonomous robots, or gliders, to collect data from the briny deep. Dr. Catherine Edwards is a researcher at the UGA Skidway Institute of Oceanography, and she joins us from Savannah to share some insights on how they work and what role they play in predicting predicting rather these potentially deadly storms. Catherine, good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Paint a picture for us, if you would. How would you describe the look of these underwater gliders? So these gliders, they sort of look like yellow torpedoes. They're about person size, about five and a half feet long and about 10 inches in diameter. And they have wings, but from the outside looking at them, you couldn't necessarily tell how they move. They don't have propellers like a lot of other autonomous underwater vehicles and other robots. So how do they move? They move by changing their buoyancy and center of gravity. So you have them so that they're neutral in the water, not sinking and not floating. They take in a small volume of water so they're heavy and then move an internal battery forward about an inch so it's pointed down. Then it uses gravity to move towards the bottom with wings that give it lift for horizontal and controlled flight. So it sounds like clever little things. Oh, yeah, and on the way back up, they use buoyancy the same way. They become light, they point up, and they use buoyancy to float to the surface. Now, is somebody actually driving them or controlling where they go? No, they're completely autonomous. They are autonomous and untethered. We deploy them off of the ships, and they have the capability to operate on their own for weeks or even months at a time. We do have them call in to servers in our lab about every four to six hours, and that gives them a chance to report their position, uh, report their sensor health and how they're doing on their mission, um, and then also having a chance to send us data that it's been collecting over that last four to six hours. Uh, and then most importantly, it's a chance to potentially adapt the flow, adapt uh, the, the programming of, of the vehicle to perhaps aim it towards different waypoints or change the kind of mission sampling that it's running. So the sensors, what, are, what kinds of things are being measured? So the the important things for the glider re- for the hurricane research are we we measure um, temperature and salinity using a conductivity temperature and depth sensor, um, and then that gives us subsurface temperatures and salinities, and therefore. Uh, the seawater density from the surface down to about three meters above the bottom. The glider is also equipped with a dissolved oxygen sensor and then fluorometers that tell us how much chlorophyll and how much organic matter is in the water as well as how much stuff is scattering light inside it. Um, That helps us uh, assess 
um, how much chlorophyll, how much marine algae is in the water and where, how much oxygen is associated with it, and helps us connect physical and biological patterns. So we know that warm water is associated with hurricanes, so I understand temperature, but the measurement of algae and other particles in the water, that's about what, churn, direction? Well, sometimes it, it, sometimes it shows the response to a hurricane. Um, after a hurricane passes through, you can sometimes see this in, in sea surface temperature maps from satellite measurements. You see the warm ocean where the, the hurricane has gone through, but it, it leaves a cold wake behind, sort of like a slug trail of cold water that it brings up from the, the, the cold nutrient-rich water down and brings it up into the, the photic zone. Uh, then those nutrients are used by the algae, and you get a little bit of a phytoplankton response in the surface water uh, in that cold wake of a hurricane. So these gliders help us understand the temperature and the full three-dimensional heat that is available in the water column to feed tropical storms and hurricanes. Um, and also we can use them to understand a little bit about the response behind the hurricanes. Okay, so that's afterwards. That's in the path of a hurricane. But these models predicting the paths of hurricanes, let's say the ones that we see on TV, they've gotten a lot more accurate in the past few decades. How are these underwater gliders improving those predictions? Well, sure, you're right. They've gotten a lot better. And, and the thing they've gotten a lot better on is predicting their path. And so we now know better where they're going, and we have more notice for where they end up going. But we have uh, the, the, the hurricane modeling community has been um, improving more slowly in terms of intensity error, in terms of um, how strong the storm will be when it makes landfall. Uh, and so uh, as part of a large project funded by NOAA, uh, I'm uh, the head of a regional group using gliders to understand the three-dimensional heat signal inside the, inside the ocean that's available as heat to potentially fuel hurricanes and better understand that, that ocean-atmospheric inter- interaction that can ultimately give rise to hurricane intensity. Yeah, let's let's actually get a real world example of that. Part of what makes hurricanes so dangerous is quick changes in intensity and direction. So storms like Hurricane Michael or Florence, for example. Um, Can you explain how this would help predict those patterns with more accuracy? Absolutely. So since since gliders. Uh, fly vertically within the water column. We get the sea surface temperatures like we see on satellite, but we also see the, the temperature down below. So if you've got warm temperatures near the surface and cooler temperatures down below, as the hurricane begins to approach, mixing will happen as the winds begin to stir up the water. And suddenly, you don't have that same amount of heat available at the surface available for the storm to take up. So um, uh, collaborators of mine at Rutgers and other universities have looked at this uh, for Hurricane Irene uh, off of uh, the U.S. East Coast several years ago. Um, And then Florence looks very similar in that some of the water as the hurricane approached was very heavily stratified. There was a big temperature difference between surface and bottom. And one of the gliders that we deployed off of North Carolina uh, near the storm track of Florence showed that there was about a 14 degree 
Celsius temperature change between surface and bottom. Mm -hmm. When those data come to my lab, we contribute them to national and international databases of subsurface temperature data so that ocean modelers can take them into their ocean models. These are ocean models like the ones that the Navy uses as um, national ocean models that are used as kind of that bottom half of what's connected to hurricane models above. So we were able to show last year that by having the glider in the water near the hurricane, we were able to correct a 14-degree Celsius temperature change that wasn't represented in the Navy models. And that ocean connection then has a chance to propagate into the hurricane models. Yay, gliders. Yay, gliders indeed. <laughs> I'm speaking with the researcher, Catherine Edwards, about the fleet of underwater gliders out of UGA's Skidway Institute of Oceanography, helping to more predict with more precision a path and intensity of hurricanes, among other things. How many gliders are in the fleet? Um, in my lab, Skidaway owns uh, one glider, and we have another on a long-term loan from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And then we operate a third glider owned by a regional association funded by NOAA called the Southeast Coastal Ocean Observing Regional Association, Socorro. So those are the three gliders we operate. Uh, but then our regional hurricane gliders project is a consortium of glider operators and Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. And among our, our groups, we have uh, between six and eight gliders at our disposal. Uh, and we're funded this year to put two gliders, two or three gliders into the water during hurricane season to be able to maximize the impact for our region. Now, these gliders really have to be ready for anything. I read one of them actually had a run-in with a shark. And it's actually more common than you would think. When the gliders are at the surface transmitting data, they're really vulnerable to all kinds of danger from ship strikes, from uh, fishermen uh, saying, what's that? <laughs> I'd like to learn more. Um, and then apparently from sharks um, who are visual predators. And if they look up and see something um, the right shape and the right size, it looks like a snack. Uh, but um, this time... The, the shark got a nasty surprise, got a mouthful of metal, uh, and, and fortunately the glider was safe. But they're not always, uh, it's not all, we're not always so lucky. You talked about the regional uh, glider operation. How do you decide where to send them? Do they regularly patrol a particular area or go all over the Atlantic? We have a combination of approaches. You know, what worked well for us last year was deploying. We put two gliders into the path of Hurricane Florence three days before landfall, one on the, one on the South Carolina side and one on the North Carolina side. We didn't know then where the storm would make landfall with 100% certainty. But we had also just taken a glider out of the water that had sampled the shelf edge uh, between Florida and North Carolina going in and out of the Gulf Stream. And it turns out that's a very useful place because there can be large temperature changes at the surface and down below. Um, it's not only important for understanding the three-dimensional heat content available for hurricanes and where they can intensify, it's really important for getting the ocean dynamics right. The Gulf Stream is just such a strong influence region-wide. 
Well, overarchingly, your goal of your research is to improve the accuracy and, of course, trust in hurricane models. So you mentioned sharing with NOAA or comparing data with the Navy. Does UGA share this research with meteorologists? In other words, is this research level or is this at the consumer level yet? This is research level, but the data are available to everybody. Um, and part of our mission through the Sakura Glider Observatory is to increase the, the use of our data by, um, by scientists, by stakeholders, uh, in fisheries, uh, in, in meteorology, and then also, you know, every, the general public. Um, we hope that, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch gliders move around on a map, but, um, what's even better is seeing the impact they can have, especially, you know, as Georgia residents, you know, these are decisions that affect our everyday lives. Uh, and, and, uh, we think that these data can be important, not just in hurricane season, but, um, through better prediction of storms in general, and then also through data available to fisheries and other stakeholders and other partners. Yeah, that trust. They, they have to have reliable models or they have to know from history that this is an accurate prediction. Is that what you're aiming to do? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and ultimately having good information, improving the information that comes to our emergency managers and decision makers, um, that really has the direct impact on our lives. Um, and we think by improving the hurricane models from the inside, from the ocean up, and that connection between the ocean and atmosphere, um, that that uh, effect can propagate through the forecasting system and ultimately touch people's lives. Catherine Edwards, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me. That is Dr. Catherine Edwards, a UGA researcher with us from Savannah. Coming up, how the debate around violence in video games and that connection has changed over time, e.g. become a lot more partisan which is not entirely surprising. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for that and more of On Second Thought.